Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you're downloading and listening as we continue our journey through God's Word. Now, on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is starting a new series entitled Matters of the Heart. With a message entitled, Do You Have a Heart Condition? from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Now, if you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to become a part of and to work with and to serve with, we'd love to meet you. We meet at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you need more information, check us out at calvaryfayetteville.com, email us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com, or call us at 479-442-4634. Again, Pastor Kirk is starting a new series from the book of Mark as he looks at matters of the heart. Let's listen together. Well, today we begin a new sermon series for the month of February, and as about everything that I tend to do. It will probably bleed over into March a little ways, but uh, you know me, right? And um, I have a hard time getting said everything that I want to get said. Well, what is February known for? Well, for some, it marks their birth month. For instance, my wife, who is going to have a birthday this month, and our uh, first child, our daughter Kate, sitting in the balcony. My family won't sit with my wife in church. I'm not sure why that is. But Kate, we have to argue about because she was a leap year baby. You know what that is, right? February 29th. And so my wife and I have uh, now for a number of years had that annual argument whether you celebrate February the 29th, a birthday on that day, the day before or on March 1st. Her argument is she was not born in March. You have to celebrate in February. My argument, she was not born on February the 28th. Her birthday is not until the day after that, which happens to be March 1. My wife always wins that argument. (laughs) But it's not birthdays that February is primarily known for, I think, for the masses, for the crowds, for uh, everyone else, even though President Washington and Lincoln were born in that month, Galileo was born in that month, Darwin was born in that month, so was Edison, Rosa Parks, and Laura Lee Ingalls Wilder, and many others. But February is famous for Valentine's Day, right? All you women can say amen. All you men can say, oh me. It's a holiday for which we have no idea actually why it got started. St. Valentine certainly was not a very lovable person. But interestingly enough, it's become one of the most financially profitable days for those who sell cards, flowers, candy, and popcorn. It's a very good day. It's estimated that Cupid has come out of quarantine this year, and Americans will spend 24 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars for Valentine's Day. The average American male will spend more than $200 
on his valentine or valentines if he's that sneaky kind of guy. By the way, wives, you know now what ought to be spent on you for Valentine's Day. Personally, I'm trying to start a campaign that we drop Valentine's Day and that we celebrate Groundhog Day instead. That was this past week, you know, the second. For you see, for Valentine's Day, all you've got to do is buy your sweetheart a pound of sausage and you're done with it. Ground. Hall. Now all you husbands can say amen to that. (laughs) But understand, far and away, the most popular symbol for Valentine's Day in this month of love is not a fat little cherub with a bow and arrow known as Cupid, but it's the symbol of a heart. A heart. And that's why we're calling this series for February Matters of the Heart. You see hearts everywhere in February. We even have one on the front of our worship guide today. You know what it symbolizes. It has to do with love and affection. But how did the heart get identified with love? I mean, after all, the heart is a blood-pumping organ necessary for life and living. When the heart stops, you stop. If you have a heart condition, then you have to take care and maybe certain medications or whatever. Avoid some kinds of foods, other things. But I want to suggest to you that everyone here has a heart condition. And as Kenny Rogers in the first edition once sang, we all need to see what condition our condition is in. We all have a heart condition. But did you know that in, in past years, in past centuries, that, that scientists and, and medical professionals and philosophers thought that the heart was not the seat of affection, but the liver was? Well, that would change things, wouldn't it? I love you, honey, with all my liver. <laughs> she broke my liver. Tony Bennett would have sung, I left my liver in San Francisco. (laughs) And Billy Ray Cyrus might have sung something about his achy, breaky liver. But anyway, the the heart. And oftentimes when we talk about that in, in spiritual context, we don't really know what we're talking about. We don't really have an identity for it. But while it is kind of one of those ethereal things out there that, that you know, we, we use the expressions a lot and we refer to it a lot. You find that the Bible speaks a lot about the heart. In fact, it mentions the heart almost 1,000 times in Scripture. And so it leads us to a key truth. And I want to give you two key truths and then we'll read our text and we will Uh, look at what uh, Jesus had to say in a very important parable. Key truth number one, the heart is that spiritual part of us where our emotions and desires dwell. That is not just a a man-made idea. When you read what the Bible says about the heart, 
in those almost 1,000 verses. That's what we come to. That, that the heart, whatever that is, wherever that is, whether it can be identified, taken out and looked at or whatever, the heart, as the Bible speaks of it, is the spiritual part of us where emotions and desires dwell. It's deep within us. And even though our text does not mention the word heart, it is all about the heart. Let me go ahead and read the text now. You follow along in your Bibles, and uh, then I'll give you the second truth, and we'll uh, share the four points very quickly of the message, beginning in Mark chapter 4 with verse 1. Speaking of Jesus, again he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, listen. That word is a, a word uh, of, of power. It means attention. In the same way that soldiers will step to attention. And that's what our hearts and minds should do when we hear him say this word, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, unlike most other parables, Jesus now gives us an explanation. This is a very special parable. It is the king of all parables. It is the key to understanding other parables. I believe it is the most uh, important parable that Jesus ever taught. And he wanted to be sure it was not misunderstood. So he gives a careful explanation. Verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that, and he quotes now from the Old Testament, they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. 
and others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. The key to all parables, as Jesus said in verse 13, how will you understand all parables if you don't understand this one? It's very important. The key truth, the second key truth uh, is this. The four types of soils, as you know and have figured out by now, if not already, the four types of soils equal four types of hearts are four heart conditions. Now, before we get into those, we need to remember and to rehearse again why Jesus taught in parables. If I were to ask you what is a parable, somebody, probably several somebodies, would answer because you've heard it all your life. So young, maybe you heard it, you don't even remember which Bible school it was where you were taught that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It is like a metaphor. It is like a, a story taught about very average things very normal day-to-day -day things that illustrate eternal things. And that is true to a certain degree. But you need to understand that parables were not only taught by Jesus in order to help people understand spiritual truths. Oftentimes, he was also teaching in parables in order to conceal spiritual truth. So a parable has two motives, to reveal truth and to conceal truth. And it seems that those two things are contradictory or they are counterproductive. But Jesus basically even explained all of that. And he tells us that he begins to teach in parables when the opposition against him begins to get more heated. That every time that uh, as he's teaching, as he's progressed into his ministry, he is now accumulating enemies who are wanting to destroy him, primarily the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the scribes, the other religious legalists, because Jesus was teaching the true meaning of the Old Testament, not their legalistic uh, bylaws that they were trying to live by. And so they were trying to always trap him in his words. And so he begins to teach in parables so that those who have open hearts and receptive hearts to receive the truth or those who are ignorant of his teachings and are getting a first taste of them that these people can understand some biblical and some eternal truths while at the same time those who have hard hearts and those who are dead set against him he's teaching in parables and it just goes over their head they just don't get it it doesn't fit into their story and they were continually being frustrated 
because they couldn't find the actual words of Jesus that they could destroy him over. Scripture tells us that they were always trying to trap him so that they might destroy him. So the motive for it was to both reveal and to conceal. And the difference was, what was the condition of the heart? And so this first and foremost of all parables, this parable that is a key that will open the door to other things he's going to say is a parable about different kinds of hearts, about different kinds of hearers, about different attitudes towards the things of God. And in that respect, regardless of what your physical condition is, I want to say to you that spiritually, every single person in this service, myself included, and all of you included, every one of us has a heart condition. So what is the condition of your heart? What condition is your condition in today. Jesus gives us four conditions that basically takes care of it. Everybody in the world has one of these heart conditions. First of all, there are hard hearts. Now, if some of this sounds a little familiar to you, a couple of years ago when we were studying through Mark from the beginning to the end, you will know that we dealt with this passage then. So some of the things that I'll have to say uh, will be much the same. Some of it will be worded a little differently, but we don't have to change the truth up for the truth is the truth. And the first kind of hearts he talks about are hard hearts. I ask you the question, do you have a hard heart today? This is what he said about it. Let's reread verse 3 and 4. Jesus says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. That is the condition of the hard heart. Some of the seed as it was scattered, fell on the hard pathway, the walkway, the roadway. And those seeds, the birds came and ate. They did not germinate. They did not take root. They did not produce any fruit. He explains that down in verse 15. If your Bibles are open, and they should be, look down to verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Now to be sure we understand this and to give you kind of a, a mental picture of what's going on, this is what life was like some 2,000 years ago in the land of the Bible. And in many ways, it's still like this today. People did not build fences. Sometimes they might build a rock wall to mark off and identify their property. But usually it was just a, a, a narrow footpath. It may be three, four, five, six feet wide. A pathway that you could walk between the fields of different farmers 
of different landowners. It's much like this uh, over in Southeast Asia even today. You may have seen pictures of the rice paddies uh, that our soldiers during the Vietnam War had to fight in. And, and of course, these were flooded fields. But what separated the fields were these narrow footpaths where they were built up and where they were they were padded down and stomped down by continual uh, uh, walking between those fields. Well, these in the Middle East were not flooded. They were very dry, in fact. But still, they had the footpaths, sometimes as wide as a roadway, dividing the, uh, the fields of different farmers. Now, also, the kind of crops that they grew. We're talking here in the scattering of seed. We're talking about wheat or barley. This is not a row crop. They didn't have rows and carefully spaced out dropping of seeds to grow like we would grow corn or something else in, in our context today. This seed was scattered broad. And in fact, the Old Testament talks about sharing the Word of God, being like the sower, going out to sow the Word and scattering the seeds of the gospel to see what kind of response it would get. And as the farmer sowed his seed and scattered his seed, inevitably some of those seeds fell on these hard footpaths. And Jesus said immediately, the birds see that and they fly down and they snatch that up for food. In the explanation, Jesus said, the birds represent Satan. That the devil himself, whenever he can, he will take the seed of the Word of God away from you, out of your heart, before it has a chance to take root. But if it falls on a hard heart, it's not going to take root anyway. So the seed that falls along the road, roadside represents the people who hear the Word of God but never believe. These hearts have no sensitivity to the Word. Satan snatches away these seeds of truth. Now what causes a heart to become hard to the Word of God and the things of God? Well, I want to say to you first and foremost... That's how we come into this world as sinful people. The Bible tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? How can you even know your heart? That is found in the book of Jeremiah chapter 17. But specifically, as we come into this world and as we are filled with the various uh, expressions of sin in our lives, sins of pride, of sexual immorality, of anger that leads to bitterness and unforgiveness if it's not dealt with and people are not forgiven in our lives. These things will make our hearts hard. Did you know that there's basically three reasons why people reject the gospel of Jesus Christ? Did you know that first of all, it's because of ignorance. They've just never heard the gospel. Many people do not embrace the gospel of Christ today because they've never heard the gospel shared with them or preached to them. So ignorance will take people to hell. But number two, pride will take people to hell. Our own 
self-seeking, our own self-exaltation, our own obsession with ourselves and not with God or the things of God. Pride will take a person to hell. Pride that keeps them from surrendering their lives to God, that gets in the way of them bowing their knee to a higher power, the Lord Jesus Christ. Pride that prevents them from confessing their sin to God. But also sexual immorality, immoral sin, things that sinful behaviors that we love so much that have such a grip on us that we choose that sin over Christ himself. All these things are the expressions of a hard heart. Do you have a hard heart against the things of God today? Are you rejecting Jesus as your Savior? Believers can have hard hearts too, by the way. Believers who will, um, as I said before, not be willing to forgive others or who get caught up in sin that they don't want to confess. Believers can develop hard hearts. Child of God, do you have someone that wronged you maybe years ago, maybe a long time ago, maybe yesterday, that you are unwilling to forgive, that you are unwilling to grant forgiveness towards? That will make you bitter and hard, and it will keep you from receiving the Word of God when it comes to you. It's why sometimes the Word of God does not touch you deeply when you read it in your quiet time. In fact, most of the time it will ultimately keep you from any kind of quiet time. It will keep you from the house of God and the people of God. It will cause you to isolate. Have you held unforgiveness or some other sin in your life that's made your heart hard? You need to confess that today. As one person one time said, I just can't bring myself to forgive that person, but I'm willing to forgive them if God will just help me. Maybe just confessing to God, you are willing to be willing to forgive and pray that God will help you. Hard hearts. The second kind is found in verse 5 and 6. We call these shallow hearts. Shallow hearts. Verse 5 and 6. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. And these, now verse 16 and 17, he explains, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. They fall away. When you hear rocky ground, don't think of that kind of ground that maybe you have when you're tilling up a garden spot in your yard. I remember my grandma and my grandpa always had a garden when I was younger and I lived with them for quite a bit of my life. And, and I remember that old soil around Stone County, Arkansas. It gets its name honestly. Mountain View, Arkansas. My grandpa didn't have a tractor. He didn't have the money for that. 
He didn't have a mule. Uh, that's something even earlier in his life. But he had a, a little hand plow that was, you, you pushed it, and it was manpower to make a little furrow. And I mean to tell you, there were so many rocks in that ground, and you'd hit a rock, and you'd have to bend down and pick it up and throw it over to the side. That's not the kind of rocky soil he's talking about here. There's, there's plenty of that in the land of the Bible. But what he's talking about it, it are those places where the solid rock is just a little ways below the surface. That, that you begin to dig down in the dirt, and you don't go very far because you're hitting rock. It's, it's shallow soil. Now, I identify with this, living in the suburbs of the majority of, of my life. I identify this with houses that have septic tanks. How many of you have a septic tank? I know you do, Tony. You don't have to lift your hand. You live the same place I live. You don't forgot that. Uh, but a septic tank is that concrete, usually tank, just a little ways below the surface. And what you notice in the springtime, if you've got Bermuda grass or some other kind of good grass, uh, that as soon as it starts to get warm, that's the first place that greens up because the soil gets warm. And so you look out there and you've got those one or two green spots when everything else is still brown. That's because it's shallow, it warms up, it greens up first. It's a little bit of an encouragement that summer's coming. But then the rest of the grass greens up. And you find about halfway through the summer when it starts to get hot and a little bit dry, guess what? Those places over the septic tank that first greened up are now turning brown. Why? Because there's no depth of soil. There's no depth of roots. What warmed it up early is now burning it up because of the extreme heat. And that's the example, that's the illustration, that's what we can see to understand this, that, that uh, this person, this shallow soil, these shallow hearts, when they hear the truth, when they hear the Word of God, these are ones who receive it quickly, very responsive to the Word. Joyfully, it even says. They joyfully receive the Word of God, the truth of God, even the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as they go along and progress in their Christian lives, and when there become times of heat, when the pressure is on, when it gets difficult to live the Christian life and walk the Christian life and the Christian walk, and especially when it becomes difficult because of the Word of God and the offense or the persecution or the difficulties come to you because of the Word of God and because you have believed it and tried to hold on to it, very quickly, all of a sudden, it withers. It never produces fruit. There's no root to sustain them. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This is one of the hardest truths of Jesus to understand and embrace. Not because it is deep, not because it is complex, but because it is contrary to what almost every one of us have heard all of our lives 
in evangelical Baptist churches. These are shallow professors of Christ and His Word. There is no root. There's no endurance. They won't go the distance. There is no fruit. But guess what? Every last one of them is quite certain they're going to heaven. Why? When the gospel has not changed their lives and it has not produced fruit, why are we so certain that they're going to heaven? Or if that's us, that we are. Now this is R.C. Sproul's, a great Bible teacher. This is his explanation for these verses. I quote his words. What is described in this example is a spurious conversion. A conversion that is false, that is not real. No one is justified by a profession of faith. We must possess the faith we profess if we are to be justified. The seed of God's Word has to take root in our hearts if we are to enter the kingdom of heaven. A superficial profession of faith is no sign of true redemption. When the seed of God takes root, there will be fruit. No root, no fruit. No fruit, no root. It's a reciprocal statement. Now I'm going to speak very honestly, as honestly as I know how. I agree with just about everything R.C. Sproul ever taught. I believe what he says here is probably true. But I don't think you and I have any way of knowing the condition of someone's heart who maybe has made that profession and then walked away. I hope and pray some of them are saved. Because I'm going to be honest with you, some of them are my loved ones. Some of them are my family. They made a profession long ago in Bible school, in a revival, maybe a Sunday morning or Sunday night service. But they haven't darkened the door of God's house in decades. They show no love for the people of God, and as far as I can see, the things of God. Now, I don't know what kind of private or personal communion they have with God. I can't see into anybody else's heart. Listen, I have trouble enough knowing my own heart. How about you? There's sometimes I think things, sometimes I say things that I don't look or sound anything like a child of God. Sometimes I harbor attitudes towards people and towards stuff that a 
A child of God that loves God, the things of God should never hold those attitudes. The one difference is, I'm convicted about that. And most of the time I try to deal with that. And at least so far, I've not walked away from God and His Word, God's people, because of that. But folks, listen to me. This town, this county, this state, this nation is littered all over the countryside with these people right here. Because somebody told them if they just prayed this prayer, if they just walked the aisle, if they just joined the church, if they just got baptized, that they would have a scot-free trip to heaven when they die. And they responded to that joyfully. And were glad and just overjoyed to stand before the congregation and to feel the love of the congregation who came to pray for them and to thank God for them and their decision for the Lord. And they did all of that. But where are they today? Where are they? Why are they not walking in some semblance of a changed life? Justification is not just the profession you make. Justification, where we are declared innocent and acceptable to God, we all need to be justified. Okay? Justification is reflected in a changed life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Paul tells the Corinthians, they are a new creation in the Lord. Shallow hearts. That troubles me very quickly. The third kind of person here are those with crowded hearts. Crowded hearts. We read about this in verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns or amongst the weeds. And the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. Jesus explains this in verse 18 and 19. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. You see, as the seed is scattered, not only does it fall on shallow soil where there's rock beneath the surface and on the pathways and the roadways, it also gets scattered among the thorns and the thistles and the weeds. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. What do we do with this? These people have received the word. They've responded to it, we presume, joyfully, just like the, the shallow-hearted people. But along the way, as the seed begins to germinate and to sprout and to grow, the weeds, the thorns, the thistle, the, the thistle become too strong and choke it out. Well, Jesus explains three and says there's three things that these weeds and thistles uh, represent. 
He said, it's the cares of the world. It's the deceitfulness of riches. It's the desires for other things. When you think about that, you need to be sure you, you name it. Let's name what this is. What are the cares of the world? Any ideas? Just about anything you name can fall into that category. Work. Family. Family can be the cares of the world sometimes. Did you know that? School. All my plans, all my hobbies, my debts, the bills that I owe. And it goes on and on and on. And listen, it's not just bad stuff that maybe we ought to lay to the side. Some of it is. But a lot of it is stuff that's just the stuff of life in general. Life can get in the way of how you respond to the Word of God. Why? Because life tends to cause you to worry. You know what the answer to that is, by the way? It's a word called priorities. You have to make some priorities in life in order for life not to get in the way of your devotion to God. Your devotion to His Word, your devotion to His people, your devotion to His kingdom work in this world, you have got to prioritize that. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Seek ye first. What? The kingdom of God and His righteousness. And when you do that, all these other things that you need in life will be added to you. But if you get caught up trying to work your fingers to the bone, if you get caught up trying to keep up with the Joneses or the Smiths or the whoever it is that lives next door to you, even the Hickenbottoms, if you're trying to keep up with everybody else, it's going to crowd out the things of God in your life, the cares of the world. Then he said the deceitfulness of riches. You know what that is? You know what the deceitfulness of riches? It's the love of money. The love of material wealth. And what did Paul tell young Timothy? That the love of money is what? The root of all evil. Not money. Not wealth. But the love of it. That causes you to be devoted to it. And to prioritize material things in your life and understand the material things of life, the money, the possessions, the material wealth, he said it is deceitful. What will it tell you? How does it deceive you? It deceives you into thinking that you will be happy. You will be fulfilled if you can get it. If you can get enough of it, it will satisfy the longing of your heart. Some people are deceived into thinking, when I get more of it, then I will be able to tithe. I will be able to be more generous in my life, in my giving. Let me tell you something. If you are not faithful with the $10 you have in your pocket, 
You're never going to be faithful with the 10,000 you have in your bank account. You know why? It's a matter of love. It's a matter of priorities. It's a matter of values. If you are putting off obeying God about how to use your money until your money situation is better, you are sinning and you have fallen prey to the deceitfulness of riches. And then he says the desire for other things. I just call that the desire for stuff. You know, all of us need some more stuff, don't we? We need more stuff to replace the stuff we sell on eBay. We buy stuff, get rid of that stuff, in order to get some more stuff. If we're not careful what this is, and it's all interrelated, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for stuff. But what we're talking about here specifically is covetousness. It's stuff that's going to make me happy. And the desire for other things crowds the Word of God out of my heart. And the love for the church and the love for the things of God. By the way, you know what Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says about covetousness, the desire for stuff? The Bible says it's idolatry. It's idolatry. You are worshiping an idol just as much as the people who shaped a golden calf and danced naked around it in the book of Exodus. Covetousness. Slowly and surely, these people, busy with the cares and riches of the world, just lose interest in the things of God. Well, then finally, number four, we need to finish. There are fruitful hearts. Fruitful hearts. This is how Jesus put it in verse 8. And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And then he explains in verse 20, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Good soil. Good hearts are the hearts who hear the word and don't hear it only, but accept it and bear fruit as a result. They become not only hearers of the word, but as James says, doers of the word. Finally, the soil that bears and produces an abundant harvest. Now let me tell you something. An unbeliever, let me try to make a quick explanation and we'll finish. An unbeliever has no control over his or her The heart is dead. Ezekiel says the unbeliever's heart is a heart of stone. It's a hard heart. The Bible says in Ezekiel that what God does when a person is saved, he takes away the stony heart and he replaces it with a heart of flesh that is tender, that is sensitive, that can hear from God, that can care about his fellow man, that can do things uh, motivated by love and devotion. But a, a lost person, that heart is hard, stony, 
desperately wicked. He can't even know it. Only God can change that heart. But once God does, and he's done that for maybe everybody here, but certainly the majority, somewhere along the way, God convicted us of our sin. He took the hammer of his word and he broke our stony hearts. And he took away the stony heart and he gave us his heart. And we became the children of God, the people of God. But once we know Christ and have been made alive in him, now we have something to say about the condition of our hearts. For the Spirit of God lives within us. Now we can choose to make our hearts better soil because God aids us and He assists us. But even as believers, if we don't give attention to our hearts, we can become hard-hearted too. We can become shallow-hearted too. We too can have a crowded heart where the things of the world crowd out the things of God. But it's not because we can't help it. It's because as God's children, we're not choosing to receive the aid of God's Word and the aid of the Holy Spirit to have a tenderized heart. Every day, you need to pray for God to give you a heart that is good soil. You need to pray and ask God to open your heart to receive His Word and then to act upon His Word and be changed by it. You need to pray for that to be true about you because it is only through that that your life will be changed and will bear fruit for the cause of Christ. It's why James said this in James chapter 1, verse 21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, receive it, which is able to save your souls. Is the word of God producing a harvest in your life? How long has it been since the word of God has changed you in some way? How long has it been since a verse of scripture or a sermon or a Sunday school lesson or something that you have read that was true to the Word of God? How long has it been since it convicted you of a certain thought pattern, a certain attitude, a certain action or behavior, and it changed your life? That's what it means to produce fruit. How long has it been since you've been so filled with the truth of God's Word and so thankful for it that you've shared it with others, your children, your grandchildren, your neighbor, your spouse. Receive the Word of God. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. 
Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.